0: Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. and our service starts every Sunday at 10:10 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you, and I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Is your prayer life strong or is your prayer life weak? This morning we're going to be talking about the issue of communicating with your Father. Not your earthly Father, but your heavenly Father. The one who created you, the one who loved you, the one who sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you, providing this conduit where we can speak to God about anything that's going on in our life. We can come to God with any burden that we have. Now, if you'll see the title of the sermon is Communication That Counts. And we're going to be looking at six features on how we can improve our prayer life. Well, we went through the first three last week. We're going to be looking at the last three this week, but I do want to give you a little bit of a reminder. Some of you may not have been here last week, but let's just walk through it, if you will. If you want to kind of fill this out on your outline, you can put number one, Roman number one. We have, we need to recognize God's character. If you remember in verse one of Luke chapter 11, Jesus starts off with saying, Our Father. Our Father, that is the character of God. Our Father is strong. Our Father is loving. Our Father is trustworthy. We can go to our Father. He is our Abba. He is our Dad. And He cares deeply for us and loves us and sacrifices for you and for me. If you want to, you can make a number two. We must first recognize God's character. Two, we must respect God's name. When we pray, we hallow his name. If you remember last week, we discussed what it meant to hallow something. It meant to set it apart. It meant that the name was special, not meant to be taken in vain, not to be meant as a joke, not to be used flippantly, but we ought to respect and hallow God's name. His name is holy. It is above all other names. It is greater than my name, greater than your name, greater than any brand name. God stands alone. And when we hallow God's name, we worship him and we recognize him for who and what he is, the ultimate authority, the everlasting God and the mighty one. He is hallowed. We recognize God's character, strong, loving, trustworthy. We respect God's name, hallowed. It is holy. And number three, if you want to, you should say this. We should request God's kingdom. In our prayers, we request God's kingdom. Again, in verse two, it says, your kingdom come, meaning that we place our desires, our dreams, and our wants on the secondary issue of our life. God now is in the forefront. He is now the boss. We are now following his lead. We are listening to his commands. We are not looking to build for ourselves a kingdom on earth where we are celebrated, where we are worshipped and praised. Rather, no, we are wanting God to have his kingdom on earth. And God installs his kingdom on earth through me and through you, living through us, guided by his Holy Spirit, And we usher in God's kingdom through God's presence in our life. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about my desires, my want, my selfish ambitions. It is no longer about any of those things. It's all about putting God first and his kingdom first. And Today, we finish the last three points in this message. And I think it's appropriate that we're talking about prayer on Father's Day because it's prayer that keeps us connected to our Heavenly Father. Prayer provides the the telephone line, if you will, so that God can not only hear us but also communicate back to us. Prayer provides for us God's leading Through prayer, we find God's encouragement. We also find God's correction. Oh, friends, I can tell you how many times I've spent praying, and and yet the Lord convicts me over and over and over again about behavior in my life that is not becoming of a biblical Christian, and areas in my life that I need to clean up and do better at, areas in my life that don't look and reflect Jesus. And chances are you felt that before as well when you pray and when you read Scripture but at the same time, in many times in my prayer life, I have felt God's presence. And I've felt God's encouragement. When I've been discouraged, when I've felt low, when I've felt depressed, I know that I can go to God and I can say, Lord, help me. Be with me, Lord. Encourage me. And you know what? The Lord often does that. Supernaturally, I can feel his presence. But at the same time, I, in many ways, I feel God's presence in you. When, when you come up and when you speak and when you pray, oh, friend, I, I, I sense God in you as well, and I'm thankful that God sends people our way. Isn't that right? Isn't it good to have sometimes God with flesh on right here with us, sitting next to us, a hand that we can hold, or somebody that can love us? Well, that's where we are this morning. If you want to, again, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can read along with me if you'd like. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves Forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. If you remember in the ancient days, in the ancient Jewish world, uh, Jews back in Jesus' day did not pray from the heart, if you will. See, many of us, we don't have rote prayers. We just go and we speak to God in whatever comes to our mind. Those are the things that we say because we have that relationship and connection with God. But back in Jesus' day, that's not how it was. Uh, there was a series of prayers that a person could pray, and they were all memorized, and they weren't always from the heart, and yet the disciples recognized something in Jesus' life that was different. They saw power in Jesus. They saw authority in Jesus, and they recognized immediately that that power and authority came from his connection to God in prayer. Well, they had never seen anything like this before. And so the disciples look at Jesus and said, Jesus, we want that. We want that same power. We want that same connection. We want that same authority. Teach us how to pray because what we are doing and how we are praying is clearly not cutting the mustard. So, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus begins to open up his mouth, and he begins to open up his life, and he begins to share with them what it truly means to pray. So if you want to, look at here, uh, look here on your outline, uh, Roman numeral 4. Here's the next point. We must rely on God's provision. We must rely on God's provision. Give us each day our daily bread. How many of you have ever been involved in a trust fall? Anybody ever involved in a trust fall? Will you show this clip, Ms. Barb? Thank you. This is what it means to trust. It'll be an exercise in building trust uh, between one another. So Harrison, if you don't mind going first, uh, step up here on this chair and close your eyes. All right. And then everybody fill in and we're going to ask you to fall and then they will catch you. So you have to trust us. I'm going to count to three. Just relax and fall. Okay. One, two, three. No! No! And it just, it'll be an exercise in building trust uh, between one another. So, That's Harrison, good, Ms. Barb. Thank you. you. <laughs> oh. <sighs> Got to be honest with you, I laughed at that one pretty good, too. It was really funny. <laughs> it's hard to trust people, isn't it? There's a lot of truth in that exercise. You, you think people are going to be there for you and you think they're going to catch you, you may even have people promise you, oh, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to abandon you. When you need me the most, I'm going to be right there with you. And then what happens? Instead of falling backwards, you fall forward, and there's nobody there to catch you. You know, trust is one of the really most difficult things that we have to do in our lives. It's difficult to trust. And because I think because so many people have broken trust in us, it's very difficult for us to transfer that trust to God. After all, we don't see God. He's not somebody that we we see the effects of God, but we don't necessarily see God. And so now we have to t- turn over all of our life and everything we know and everything we believe, we have to turn this over to something that we can't necessarily see when the people that we do see, they've broken that trust with us. It's hard to trust. And yet Jesus tells us that we can trust him. Give us this day, our daily bread. What Jesus here is saying is that God is going to supply you with your most basic needs. That you don't have to worry about finding food to eat. That you don't have to worry about finding the next place you're going to lay your head at night. That God is going to take care of these things for you. It also means that God will supply your blessings. Not only does God give us our basic needs, but look around, friends. Hasn't God given you more than what you need? He has. He's given you way more than what you need. God has looked into your life and has blessed you in ways that are ample, so much more than what we have even asked for or what we need. But God also supplies our betterment. Sometimes God allows us to go through hardship and difficult times so that we can be better on the back half of it, so that we can be smarter, so that we can be more intelligent, so we can be wiser, so that we can be stronger. God allows us to go through hardship and difficulty. I would say that nearly 80 to 90 percent of the people that come and speak to me on a pastoral level, people that Uh, make an appointment to come and talk to me at my office. About 80 to 90% of those folks that come and see me are really dealing with two things. They are dealing with fear and they're dealing with worry. They're dealing with fear and they're dealing with worry. They're afraid that God is not going to move in the situation that they have found themselves in. They are worried that God is not going to provide for them, that he's not going to show his love for them, and that somehow that God has forgotten about them. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you right now, that is just not the case. God is going to provide you your daily bread. You have nothing to be afraid of and you have nothing to worry about. Do me a favor, flip in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Jesus is delivering to the disciples the Sermon on the Mount. Followers everywhere, thousands of people. And Jesus is talking about one of humanity's greatest needs, confidence and assurance. If you remember when I began this series in Luke, I I was telling you that the principles of humanity, the principles of what it means to be a man and a woman have not changed at all, at all. Jesus delivered this message 2,000 years ago to people that were afraid and to people that are worried. And guess what? Here we are in 2019, and guess what people still are today? They're afraid and they're worried. It's an amazing thing. Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't reap or sow or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Friend, if you're going to underline, highlight, star something, you might want to underline that. I have to read that over and over again. I have to remind myself that verse 27 of Matthew chapter 6 exists. That I can't add an hour of life by worrying. I can't. In verse 28, And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not worry, or excuse me, they do not labor or spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So, I, so so don't worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will what? What will tomorrow do? It will worry About itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Friends, this morning, I hope that you will remember that we can rely on God's provision. The good news about God is that God stands not only behind us but in front of us as well. And we feel when we feel like we have fallen, when we feel like we've got no way out, when we're worried about life, and we're worried about whether or not God's gonna supply our needs, remember back on God's faithfulness. Remember back when you thought God wasn't there, and guess what? Where was he? There. Remember how God guided you out of difficult situations, how he transferred you out of a job and yet brought you to a better job. Re- remember how you thought things in your marriage weren't going to work out, but guess who's sitting next to you today? Your wife or your husband. It worked out. Guess, remember about that prodigal son who you thought would never come back to faith, and guess what? God brought him back. God's not done, he's not finished with us yet, and I promise you, you can trust him, believe in him, that he's gonna provide for you your most basic needs, and he'll even go bigger and better than that because he loves you and you're following him. Trust, believe. Philippians chapter four, verse 19 says this. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. God's going to supply every need, every need that you have. So we, one, rely on God's provision. When we pray, we can trust. Lord, I trust you. I believe you. These are the, my needs, Lord. These are the things that are going on in my life. And I believe that you can make these things happen. Now, look at Roman numeral 5. We have rely on his provision, and then we have reflect God's forgiveness. We must reflect God's forgiveness. In verse 4, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. A few years ago, I read a story about a, a man living in Los Angeles, California, and boy, he ran out of patience and he ran out of forgiveness. The newspaper article said that he was arrested for negligent discharge of a weapon after shooting his toilet bowl five times with a 38 caliber handgun. That is thank you. Somebody thought it was hilarious. Yeah. It's true. He shot his toilet five times. And when they arrested him and when they did the police report, he claimed that he just got upset. He got angry and he couldn't take it anymore. His daughter, this was the culprit, his daughter had flushed a hairbrush down the toilet earlier in the day and it clogged the pipes. Now, thankfully, he did not shoot the daughter. That would have been bad. So instead, he shot the offensive toilet. By the way, I don't know the toilet's condition. I don't know (laughs) what condition the toilet is in. I'm 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 sure it's uh, significant and serious. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a hard thing to do, isn't it? It's hard to forgive somebody you feel has wronged you or betrayed you. Which, by the way, every single person in this room has felt wronged by someone and has felt betrayed by someone. If you haven't felt that way, I want to tell you, your day is coming. Generally, if you haven't felt that way, it's because you're a child and you just haven't lived long enough yet to experience that. But there is no greater heartache in this world than when you have felt wronged by a friend, by a loved one, or when you have felt betrayed by a friend and by a loved one. Friends, we, we've had folks in our, in our church Who have had sons and daughters taken away from their families violently. When when I say that we have to forgive, I'm not talking about she said something mean about me or, or he didn't do it the way I wanted him to do, so I'm really upset. No, I'm talking about real deep heartache. Forgiveness is hard, it's a difficult thing. So when we say that we need to forgive others, we ask the Lord to forgive us because we ourselves need to forgive anyone indebted to us. This is is the hardest thing to do, I believe, in all of Scripture, to forgive other people. It's the hardest thing to do. Forgiveness means that we surrender our right to get even, We may not forget, but we let go. We put the situation in God's hands, and we trust that God will work out everything for his good, his glory, and to our holiness. By the way, you'll have a lot of preachers that will say it like this, that we trust God will work out everything for his good, his glory, and our good. That's not always the way that it works. It doesn't always work out for our earthly good, because God is not in, he's not intending on building an earthly kingdom for me. He's built an earthly kingdom for himself. Now what God does is he'll bring things about for his good, his glory, and our holiness. Forgiveness is something that purifies us from sin. It's the very thing that Jesus did on the cross. Do you remember when Jesus forgave the criminals as he was dying on the cross? It was for God's glory, it was for God's good, but it was Not great for Jesus. Jesus ended up succumbing to death. And sometimes forgiveness is an incredibly difficult thing for us to do. Forgiveness means that we rediscover the humanity and the one that did us wrong. This means that we don't define the wrongdoer by their betrayal or by their wrong, but rather we see that person as an object not of wrath, but as an object of forgiveness. Aren't we glad this morning— That God did not look at us and see us defined by our sin. That when we have Christ in our life, God doesn't see our sin, he sees his son. And because he sees his son, we are no longer objects of wrath, but now we are objects of mercy. We're objects of forgiveness. When we forgive, we rediscover that the person who has wronged us is complex, is weak, is confused, that this person is fragile and he's not any different or she's not any different than me. We're all in the same sin boat. Forgiveness, now this is the real trick. Forgiveness means that we wish, this is hard. Forgiveness means that we wish our wrongdoer well. It means that we wish our wrongdoer well. And that is a hard thing. That is a hard thing. Remember that as Jesus died on the cross and he asked for forgiveness for the men that were betraying him, he was dying on the cross for those men too. He died for their sin too. The same ones that were murdering him, he died for them. It means wishing the wrongdoer well, even Jesus says that we are to love our enemies and forgive those who persecute us. We bless the person. We speak kindness into their lives and show grace to the person who has hurt us the most. And forgiving takes time. God can, isn't it amazing that God can forgive in a single breath, but we need time, don't we? I'm just being honest. There are some folks in this room who have been really hurt over the years, really hurt. And in their hearts, they have forgiven. But their minds have a hard time of letting go, don't they? It's just the way it is. It's our humanity. We need time. Just before he died, listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote. (laughs) He said, I think I've at last forgiven the cruel schoolmaster who so darkened my youth. I had done it so many times before, but this time, I think I've finally done it. (laughs) Maybe if he had lived longer, he'd have to probably do it again. By the way, those of us that have experienced real forgiveness, forgiveness comes so much easier. When we realize that we are dark, sin-stained humans that have received unmerited grace, we are then able to bestow the same grace upon others more easily. I would say that this is perhaps the most important part of the prayer that Jesus gives because it is in our forgiveness that we have that ultimate reconciliation between God and it's in that forgiveness that we have our ultimate reconciliation with one another. That's the the ultimate Example of what forgiveness is. It's that desire to make a relationship right again. It's exactly what God did for us through Jesus. We had a broken relationship before Christ came. And then after Christ died, our relationship with Christ was now reconciled, healed. And we were now one with God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, Jesus is speaking, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Here is the big comma. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. A defining characteristic, I might even say the defining characteristic of being a believer in Christ is being able to channel Christ's energy into forgiveness of people that have wronged you and have hurt you immeasurably. It is the defining characteristic of being a believer. You cannot be a believer if you cannot forgive. Last point. We rely on God's provision, give us each day our daily bread. We reflect God's forgiveness, forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lastly, uh, number six, we must remain on God's pathway. Verse four, and lead us not into temptation. Remain on the path that God has for us. Friends, brothers, and sisters, it's so easy to get lost. So easy to get lost. How many of you heard the story just this past week of an alligator that was wandering around Daphne? <laughs> Anybody see that? It wandered into Sahoy, the Sahoy neighborhood. Those of you that are in Sahoy, be careful. Okay. Apparently, alligators like going over there. But that was kind of a wild thing, wasn't it? The fact that this alligator had found his way into a place that he really wasn't supposed to go. He wasn't really supposed to be there. And it was featured in, on, the, uh, on the television, on the news, and it was featured in newspapers. That finally, they had found this alligator. Did y'all know that? They finally found it. They did catch it, and they relocated it. They put it back in the path in which it was supposed to be. And they asked one of the game wardens, they said, well, golly, how in the world did, a, did an alligator who really is fitting for more Mobile Bay, how in the world did it make its way all the way to Sohoi neighborhood? What in the world would have, how did it get its, its way there? And the game warden said, well, what happens is an alligator will just go where the food is. It'll just go where the food is. The alligator will eat something and then it'll look up and it'll see something else it wants to eat off in the distance. And so you know what it begins to do? It begins to chase that thing. And then it'll eat that thing and he'll look up and guess what? There's something else off in the distance. And, and before you know it, that, that alligator is now no longer in its natural ecosystem. It has been tempted and pulled away and drawn in to a place where it's not supposed to be. Now I can only imagine what it would think when it looked up and it would see one of us <laughs> in our neighborhoods, right? Mm, good, all right? But well, friends, that's exactly what happens to us. We get off on the wrong path. And it's a series of small decisions that lead us to a place of destruction. I want, to, I want you to hear this. You never land face first into destruction, okay? Like you don't just wake up one day, you take a, a, your feet, you put them on the ground, and you take one step and you fall into destruction. That never happens, What happens is you wake up over a series of days, you put your feet on the ground, and you begin making small, incremental, poor choices that one day lead you into a place of destruction and disappointment. So this morning, what you have to do is, okay, Lord, I'm praying. I want to make sure that I'm not being led into temptation. Think back on some of the most recent decisions that you made. Are those decisions biblical decisions? Are those decisions glorifying to God? Are those decisions helpful to your marriage? Are those decisions beneficial to your parenting? Are those decisions going to bring people to Christ? Are those decisions going to lead people down the aisle? All of these decisions that you're making, if they're not those kinds of decisions, then you might be making poor choices that will one day lead you into a place of destruction. Get back on God's path. Friend, you did not wind up at the doorstep of divorce because you had one bad fight with your wife or with your husband. You wound up at the doorstep of divorce because the two of you probably made poor decisions over a period of time and you didn't just bleed your marriage to death, you paper cut your marriage to death and it bled slowly. Friends, get back on God's path. It's not too late. It really is just an acknowledgement of, hey, you know what? I'm not where I want to be. And I want to be back in a place that pleases God. Lead us not into temptation. Get back on a better path. You can do it, by the way, through planning. If you know, guys, I'll just say this if you know you have an alcohol problem, don't go to a bar. I'm just saying, if you know you've got an alcohol problem, don't go to bars because that's where alcohol is. If Guys, if you've got a problem with things that you see on a computer monitor, man, you need to put some filtering on there. You need to find somebody that can partner with you to help you beat that. These are things that, we can do, create a plan to help guide you away from sin, not steer you toward it. You can partner with other people. Find some accountability in your life. Find some people that know you, love you, and you trust them with sharing some of the deepest things of your life. And then third, pray. Pray. Draw strength from prayer to the Lord. Pray. Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 23, verses 2 and 3. Listen to what? The psalmist writes, Kings David, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. What does he do? He leads me beside still waters. He doesn't lead you into the rapids. If you listen to him, he'll lead you beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He doesn't lead you into paths of wickedness. He leads you into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So let's learn to pray like Jesus. Fill in these last little blanks. Learn to pray like Jesus today. How did Jesus pray? He praised. He praised. He provided a model of repentance, even though Jesus clearly never had to repent. He asked his father for his needs, and then he yielded to his father's will. He was obedient to Christ. So pray the Jesus way today. Praise, repent, ask, and yield to God, and yield to Christ, and be obedient. Would you bow your heads and pray with me today? Lord Jesus, we come before you thankful that we can pray to you, that we can come to you and tell you anything, that we can bring to you every problem, every issue, and that, Lord, you are faithful to hear us. Lord, we pray today that you would help us to forgive. That was such an important point of, of the sermon this morning. Perhaps there's someone in here today that is still holding on in their heart and in their head of somebody that has hurt them or betrayed them. Lord, I know it takes time to forgive. But Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts so that we can allow Christ to heal that wound that has happened in us. Lord, today, maybe there's someone that needs to pray for the very first time, crying out to you, asking you to come into their life to save them. I pray that they would do it. Lord, again, thank you for this powerful service, and we pray that it has been beneficial for you, that it has been glorifying to you, and that it will help us in our journey towards holiness and surrender. And we pray these things in your name today. Amen. God bless you. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.